Hi there, and welcome to my Fashion Stories Box podcast, a podcast about stories in fashion history. I'm Catherine, and I am so glad to welcome you here. Let's discover together interesting facts about fashion and history and fashion history. The Roaring Twenties Who never dreamt of such an exuberant and magnificent life as in The Great Gatsby? For me, the Twenties are a decade synonymous with excess, craziness, freedom, hope and glamour. A decade where women were showing their legs, dancing the Charleston on the dance floor until late into the night, listening to jazz music and smoking cigarettes with these long cigarette holders, drinking cocktails and driving cars. The First World War ended on November 1918, seeing the creation of a brand new world. The remaining empires from the previous century didn't survive this first international conflict. The Russian Empire, already fragilized by its internal weaknesses, collapsed with the October Revolution in 1917. This led the new regime to, see, to sign an armistice with the Central Powers, the creation of the young USSR under the lead of Lenin, and the exodus to European countries and the US of the white Russians, these aristocrat families who fled the communist regime. This Russian immigration, you will see, will have a role to play in the development of the 20s fashion style for many reasons I will cover later. Another empire which didn't survive the First World War was the Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire was an ally of the Central Powers, also including Germany and Austria-Hungary. As their allies capitulated, the Ottoman Empire, also suffering from internal lack of reforms and modernity, collapsed, leading to the creation of the young Turkish Republic run by Mustafa Kemal Ataturk. Then, the Central Powers disintegrated, leading to Austria-Hungary signing an armistice with the Allies on November 4, 1918, and finally Germany on November 11, 1918. As you can see, the world was completely changed. Big powers disintegrated, New countries appeared on the map in which governments were trying to lay the foundations of a more equalitarian and modern society. The young USSR gave to women the right to vote, as did the young Turkish Republic, forcing also alphabetization of their people and modernization of their societies. On the Allies' side, the First World War also had impacts. Apart from them being the winners, if we can speak about winners when we speak about wars, the society was transformed. During the war, men had to live to fight on the fronts, meaning that women had to deal with making the countries work. They were now in charge of the farms, the fields labor, the factories, producing weapons and other items needed to support the war efforts. Men were back only for short permissions. My great-grandfather fought during the First World War, and my great-grandmother was in charge of the farm, as they were farmers. My, gr my grandmother was born during the First World War in 1916, and she always joked as being the result of one of her father's permission during the war, as he came back from the war injured and then got sick. Out of necessity, women had to leave their comfort zone to handle men's job. You can imagine that when the war was over and men came back, Women didn't accept to gently go back to the kitchen, preparing meals, raising children, and keep it quiet. They tasted what was freedom, 
started to fight for their rights, asking for equality and dressing the way they wanted to be dressed. This was the context for the Roaring Twenties. After the war, and maybe because the war happened, the world opened up in a sense. People lived horrible years and wanted to forget about them. This openness had an impact on the cultural life, and the cultural movement we usually link with the Twenties is the Art Deco movement. Let me give you some more information about it. Art Deco is the abbreviation of Art Decorative, meaning decorative arts. This movement started before the First World War in France and is characteristic of the European society during the 20s and the 30s. It's a style of visual arts, architecture and designs. The appellation Art Deco got formalized in 1925 following the Exposition Internationale des Arts Décoratifs et Industriels Modernes, which was held in Paris and during which the style was first shown. At the source of this movement is modernism and modernity. The items presented during this exhibition and what had one particularity in common. Should it be luxury items, more affordable ones, fashion, furniture, accessories, and so on. This particularity was to create a sleek and anti-traditional elegance, symbolizing wealth and sophistication. This artistic movement was the translation of people's admiration for the modernity, the machines, and for the qualities people were associating with machine-made items, as simplicity and symmetry, for example. The main features of Art Deco are simple, clean shapes and lines and geometric forms. The Art Deco items mix artificial materials as plastics with natural ones as jade, silver, ivory, obsidian, chrome or rock crystals. Art Deco was also influenced by other artistic movements as Art Nouveau, Bauhaus, Fauvism, Cubism and the Ballerus of Sergei Diaghilev. The main decorative inspirations came from American Indian, Egyptian, ancient civilizations, Asia, and nature, including patterns as female figures, animals, foliage, and sun rays in a stylized way. Some renowned named names linked with the Art Deco movement include the architect Eliel Sarinen, the metalsmith Jean Puyforca, the glass and jewelry designer René Lalique, the fashion illustrator Erte, the artist jewelers Raymond Templier and Vivienne Nielsen, the graphic artist Edward McKnight Kaufer, and the fashion designer Paul Poiré. The most famous Art Deco examples are the Chrysler Building in New York, the interiors of the New York City's Rockefeller Center, the Empire State Building, and La Samaritaine in Paris, which opened again in 2021 after 16 years of being closed, and whose style is a subtle mix of Art Deco and Art Nouveau. Art Deco had a big influence, as we saw, on architecture, but also on sculpture, paintings, graphic arts, with beautiful fashion illustrations, interior design, furniture, design, glass art, metal art, and of course textile and fashion. It was more than just an artistic movement. It was the translation of the spirit of that time, of a society turned towards modernity. From a fashion point of view, the 20s were as exciting as the Art Deco movement itself, where fashion and art influenced each other. 
One noticeable event was the Sergei Diaghilev's Balerus representations in Paris starting from 1909. One of the costume designers was Leon Bax, who, according to the Parisian fashion magazine Art Goubeauté of March 1925, quote, give to the Parisian's dresses an exotic touch, flowers fabulously disturbing, patterns lightly reminding cubism in which enter fragments of crushed mirrors, sparkles, large sequins, everything that remind the tackiness of the oriental bazaars, unquote. One designer who served on that Balerus vibe was Paul Poiré. Even before Coco Chanel, Poiré is the designer credited to have freed women from the corsets. In the US, he was known as the king of fashion, and in France, he was nicknamed Le Magnifique. Paul Poiré is considered as a precursor of Art Deco fashion. He would put the Orient at the heart of his designs and transform his clients into harem girls or geishas through the use of bright colors and interesting silhouettes for that time as his lampshade tunic and harem trousers. He played a lot with draping against tailoring and took inspiration for his designs from the chiton of ancient Greece, the empire high-waisted dress, the Japanese kimono and kaftan from North America and Middle East. A true cultural and historical meeting pot. The, the oriental cuts launched by Poiré would be at the origin of the flapper style of the 20s. What is the flapper style or à la garçon style? You might have coming in mind these women dressed in straight dresses with shorter hemlines, cloche hats and short haircuts, and you would be right. Remember, after the war, women didn't want to come back to their pre-war routine and rejected the very constrained dresses and corsets. They were fighting for their new rights and wanted their clothes to reflect their new freedom. It was the first time in modern history that women's dress became that short. Not only did you see the feet and ankles, but you could also see the calf. How scandalous! You can imagine Not everybody was happy with that, and the old generation certainly had a word to complain about this new indecency. The style of that era was the contrary of the pre-war style, which celebrated sculptural women with forms that would be exaggerated with corsets or paniers, these underskirt structures added to give volume. The twenties were the celebration of androgyny. The lines were straight with no parts of the body emphasized one way or the other. The breast and waist was, weren't marked, and the hips were underlined with a belt effect on the dress, thus dropping the line of the natural waist. No corset, easy to wear and comfortable underwears, rising hems revealing the legs, stockings from lighter colors. This flapper style was a celebration of the new woman, a young, androgyne, and free spirit. To this emancipation of women which influenced the style of dresses they would wear, you also need to add the rise of sports practice as swimming, tennis. People needed to have clothes not only for business, work or official purposes, but also for casual and sports ones. This is the rise of casual wear. This new trend saw the appearance of pajamas inspired by the Balerus costume and Paul Poirier's harem pants as the perfect beach outfit and the chic and original evening wear to have. 
Sportswear inspirations would open the door for casual wear and the simplification of the dress, thanks to soft fabrics as silk, jersey, or kasha, a fabric obtained out of wool and goat hair. The first designer to translate this casual wear and sportswear trend in fashion was Jean Patou. He would make comfortable dresses and ensembles out of jersey to be worn at the beach, Deauville and Biarritz being the place to be at that time, and to the mountain. But Jean Patou would also be known as the first collaboration between fashion, a fashion designer and a sportsman, here a sportswoman, Suzanne Lendlen. She was a famous tennis player and would be spotted wearing a white ensemble by Jean Patou on the tennis court in Wimbledon in 1922. And in 1925, Jean Patou would open the first sportswear fashion line in haute couture, Le Coin des Sports, the corner of sports. His main competitor on that market segment was, you may have guessed, Coco Chanel. For her, simplicity and comfort was at the heart of true fashion and elegance. She is often credited to have freed women for, from corsets and to have launched the casual fa wear fashion, even if, as we just saw, it was not entirely the case. I mean, she was not the only one, but I guess she was very good in marketing to make people forget about Paul Poiré and Jean Patou. This being said, her legacy on fashion is not to be minimized. She did popularize the sporty and casual chic as the feminine style post-First World War, not to forget about the little black dress every woman has to have in her white robe until today. Thanks to her active social life and many lovers, she would take inspiration from the environment and make mainstream some items as jersey or menswear-inspired cuts and outfits for women. Her romance with the Grand Duke Dmitry Pavlovich Romanov made her look at the traditional Russian costume and at the embroideries. They inspired her for some addresses embellishments, and her fascination for embroideries would lead her to open an embroidery studio, Kitmir, led by the Grand Duchess Maria Pavlova Romanova, sister of the Grand Duke Dmitry Pavlovich, and in which aristocrat Russian women who fled the communism and who learned to embroider during their childhood were able to find the jobs. Being part of the Russian Immigration Society in France, Coco Chanel also designed costumes for one of the Ballet Russe show, The Blue Train, in 1924. She would design sets and outfits out of Jersey. And her romance with the Duke of Westminster in the late 20s would make her wear and adapt menswear items as blazers, pants, polos, and the English tailoring and fabrics as tweed. But not everybody was fan of this androgyne à la garçon style. Some people wanted feminine cuts. The anti-flapper movement was incarnated by designers as Jeanne Lanvin and the robe de style. A robe de style was characterized by a very full skirt which was inspired by the 18th century gowns and crinolines. It would sometimes require side hoops, underskirt structures shaped like small baskets, and one at the hips level. The top of the dress itself was quite fitted to the body and the waist was at its natural level. The complete opposite of the flapper's dress. This type of dress was considered as more feminine and romantic. Robes de style were usually worn for formal occasions as wedding, garden parties or balls. 
And the designer usually associated to the robe de style style is Jeanne Lovin. She created this type of dress for her own daughter, which was then adopted by young women and older women alike. Madeleine Vionnet offered a good compromise between the robe de style and the flapper dress. A signature style was draping and playing origami with pieces of fabrics. She also invented the bias cut, a way to cut fabrics on the baya to make it more fitted to the curves of the body. Her sources of inspiration were ancient Greece and Japan, and during the 20s she would experiment a lot with draping techniques, cutting and geometry. She would literally create sculptures out of pieces of fabrics by sewing together squares, triangles or cycles. A bit a la Iris von Herpen, if you like. Contrary to Coco Chanel, who created the modern woman's wardrobe based on the men's wardrobe, Madeleine Vionnet would only take into consideration the curves of the female body and see how the fabrics could complement it. So many styles and sources of inspiration from, for this exciting decade, right? I already mentioned the Russian influence and inspiration with the embroideries. You can also add the Russian traditional costume westernized with cuts of dresses reminding the rubashka, which was a tunic worn by men in the countryside and which would be worn on the top of a long skirt by fashionistas. The kokoshnik, a traditional Russian headwear, would also inspire jewelers and millionaires in their creations. And finally, the mixing of fabrics and, and fur was also a 20s classic coming from Russia. To this, you could add names as the artists Stepanova, Popova and Rodchenko, who started to design clothes and patterns corresponding to their visions of the future and the rationalization of the production. Natalia Goncharova is another interesting Russian figure in Paris. She designed costumes for the ballet russe and embroidered dresses inspired by a Slavic heritage and mixing abstract patterns inspired by the avant-garde. And the last name for this Russian vibe is Sonia Delaunay. Born in Ukraine, she married the French painter Robert Delaunay, and Sonia started to create fabrics by sewing together parts of smaller pieces of fabrics, reminding a bit the patchwork process mixed with embroidery process. She would play with colors and geometric forms to create gradients, visual effects, and movement. Japan was also a source of inspiration, particularly the kimono and the geishas, which would inspire beautiful evening coats and lean silhouettes. Ancient Greece with the draping of the dresses, ancient Egypt with geoglyphs, motifs, embroidered on the fabrics for coats or clutches, Native American, African motifs, It gives this idea of the 20s being an inclusive decade, where different cultures and inspirations were mixed together. Today, we would scream of cultural appropriation. However, for me, I see in it the way of this new society opened for a better future, inclusive of all cultures and celebrating them. The 20s were also the decade of jazz. Charleston, euphoria and exuberance. Bars, ball venues, concert places, theaters, restaurants were places to socialize, see and be seen. You would go to a show of Sidney Beckett or Louis Armstrong or Josephine Baker and then right to the dance floor. 
People were partying hard during that time. And of course, you needed to have the right dress to sparkle on the dance floor and to dance all night long on these fancy rhythms. At the beginning of the decade, evening dresses were long and lean, usually without sleeves. They would be embellished with embroideries or trapping effects. By 1925, they became shorter, brighter, sparklier. Beads, sequins and feathers, everything was thought to enhance the movement of the dancer. Everything had to glitter. Jean Patou even noticed that it was the taste for dancing that determined the line of evening gowns and influenced their decoration. The beaded fringes at the bottom of the dress and feathers attached to thin fabrics were swaying at the rhythm of jazz and charleston. These sparkling dresses were accessorized with feather scarves, trioras, headbands, and heeled shoes. And as these dresses were usually sleeveless, you would see the old arm and unharm. Nature has it that we grow hairs under the arms, and it wasn't that elegant, right? So women started to shave their underarm. Add to this that dancing as crazy on the dance floor makes you sweat, and you didn't want to smell bad, right? especially when you were dancing with your date or crush, and the second revolution was using deodorants to diminish body smells. When I told you, this decade was extraordinary. On their naked homes, women would wear bracelets and cuffs, and what fashion, one fashion of that time was to wear arm cuffs, worn high on the arm as well as ankle chains. No, we didn't invent anything without with our ankle chains on the beach during summer. If you wanted to stand out from the crowd, you could even wear beautiful silk-painted pajamas. Yes, right, straight to the bed after dancing without needing to change. A dream. Anyway, on the top of these magnificent evening outfits, you would wear a sumptuous long coat looking like kimono with a fur collar and in which you would feel like you can cock on. At least, this is the feeling I have when I see pictures of illustra- or illustrations of women of that time in such codes. Shall we talk now about accessories? I'd like to start with the underwears. As you noticed, corset disappears. Hurrah! The corset is dead! The new dressing style revolutionized the type of underwears women needed to wear and it simplified it too. The corset was replaced by the first bras, they are so cute, and the traditional underwear were a combination of in silk or artificial silk in nude tones, including a top and panties. Stockings also changed colors. When the dresses were longer and you wouldn't see the legs, stockings were usually of dark colors, but with the hems rising and the legs being shown, stockings came into the spotlight. The colors used were more nude and natural colors. They could be embroidered in cotton, silk wool, or artificial silk, and they would be fixed on the legs with garters. Not only did the hems of the dresses become shorter, but so did the hairs. Fashionable women would cut their hair short, a sort of carré, a bit higher than the jawline. They would have bangs and would style their hairs with waves effects. The à la garçon haircut was so emblematic of the 20s and was popularized by the actress Louise Brooks. At that time, a woman wouldn't go outside without a hat, 
and the hat of the 20s was the cloche hat, or bell hat. This hat would entirely cover the hairs and the front side of it would even hide your eyes, or at least would come at the same level as your eyebrows. You had a large variety of hats inspirations for the 20s. Chinese hats, turbans, hats inspired by the ancient Egyptian pharaoh's headpiece, and the kokoshnik. I already mentioned it, but the kokoshnik was a real furor during the 20s. It would inspire day and evening hats and the tiaras that would be worn for weddings, balls, or any other official events. Why such a big enthusiasm and passion for the kokoshnik? Well, because the kokoshnik is worn low on the forehead and put the emphasis on the eyes. It creates a dramatic look and during the 20s, everything was about being dramatic. And to emphasize the drama, you needed to have the right makeup. And here, full light on the eyes. Thin eyebrow lines, eyes underlined with a line of black eyeliner and black mascara, all completed with white powder and red lipsticks. Some women would also put Vaseline on their eyelids to reflect the light. As I said, all about drama and mystery. Jewelry was also an important accessory for the 20s women. Bracelets, arm cuffs, even Susan Langland was wearing one during her Wimbledon match together with her patted dress. Ankle chains, necklaces, earrings, rings. If we look at pictures and illustrations of the 20s, we notice the variety of jewelry and quite massive ones, reflecting the Art Deco influence in the forms and style of materials used. We also notice the now famous Chanel strings of pearls. During the 20s, Chanel would depopulize the fantasy jewelry, understand jewelry not made from precious metals as gold or silver. When it comes to bags, they were a must-have accessory for the now-active women. Bags needed to be big enough to carry out their essentials, meaning their lipsticks and cigarettes, but not too big. For the day, they would have a clutch bag they would have under their arm or in their hand, and for the evenings, their clutch bags would be done to match their evening dresses. Bags were almost a piece of art women were wearing, and you would see beautifully decorated bags inspired by the Art Deco favorite patterns. And what about the shoes? What kind of shoes would fit the new active life of women during the day and their dancing on parties during the night? With the rise of the dresses, shoes were another source of attention. The main type of shoes were a slipper type with heels and stripes. They would be in leather or satin or even silk, in bright colors and beautifully decorated with embroidery, pearls and rhinestones. I even read that heels could be removable to fit the occasion. Famous footwear designers came to fame at that time, such as Perugia and Salvatore Ferragamo. And under the influence of sportswear and casual wear, the 20s saw the appearance of the sandals, which could be worn on the beach or for daily occasions with with small heels, the Cuban heels, or with higher heels for more evening occasions. Now that we did an overview of the many things that happened in the fashion world during the 20s, let's now close our eyes and imagine how we would have lived and dressed, sure we would have been 20 in the 20s. 
let's follow Odette, a 20 years old young woman living in Paris and working as a secretary. Odette was a young girl during the First World War, but she remembers all the sacrifices and works her mother had to do during that time. So when the time came after her certificate étude, Paulette decided to leave these bad memories in the past to go to the capital, the city of lights, to meet artists and to enjoy her life. During the day, Odette works as a secretary in her office. Every morning, she follows a routine. After a light breakfast, she would wash herself and put on her underwears, a silk combination she bought with her last month's salary at the Galerie Lafayette. It was a completely folly, but she likes the feeling of silk so much that she couldn't resist. She puts on her silk stockings, not the one with the embroideries. This pair of stockings is for parting. Then, She puts on her dress. She sewed it herself, based on a model of Coco Chanel she saw in a fashion magazine. The sewing classes her mother, her mother forced her to take didn't go in vain until the day she would be able to afford a real Chanel or Patou. It's a black dress whose skirt is splitted and whose top drops until the hips with a belt effect. Roomy, comfortable and perfect for the office. She knows her director will be jealous. Now, it's time for hairstyle and makeup. As all her girlfriends, she had her hair short. What a scandal it was when she came back to her parents' place after two months in Paris. But she so wanted to look like the actresses she saw in the movies and also to be fashionable. And she doesn't really care if dressed that way or that kind of haircut, she won't find a good husband. She doesn't need any husband she can provide to her by herself. After having brushed her short hairs, she styles them into small waves on the forehead. She powders her faces with rice powder, draws the line of her eyebrows as thin as possible, adds some mascara and bright red lipsticks. She puts the pearl necklace her mother offered her when she turned 18 years old. And it's almost time to leave for work. Madame the director doesn't like when people are late. She puts on her new black cloche hat with a flower on the side, her black leather shoes, her coat, not to forget a small bag with her lipstick and cigarettes and her gloves. She sprays some perfume and off she goes. Odette is excited to start this day and for the evening to come. With her girlfriends after work, they plan to see the last show of the Baleus, the Blue Train, whose costume has been designed by Coco Chanel herself. Maybe she will be there too. And then, after the ballet, they will go right to this new nightclub we just opened. She can't wait to put on her dancing gown, all with beads and rhinestones, to sparkle on the dance floor, to smoke cigarettes and to drink cocktails. Maybe they will meet artists or foreigners. She dreams to meet one day with an American or an Englishman. Oh, why not a Russian? Nationality is not an issue, as long as this person is a foreigner. So exotic. She loves Paris and she loves being 20 and 20s. And I think I would have loved to. The 20s were the decade of women and for women. 
The Art Deco movement put women at its center of creation and fashion designers created dresses reflecting the new active way of life of women, dresses adapted to this new life and enabling them to freely move, jump and enjoy themselves. For me, this period of time is an important one, not just for this unprecedented freedom women obtained, but also from a personal side. As I mentioned, my grandmother was born in 1916, and by the end of the 20s, she was a teenager. So she's been influenced by this 20s craziness, even if she was living in the countryside. She went to school, not something common when you were the daughter of a former in the 20s. She studied sewing as her mother. She had her hair cut short. She married late for a generation, had my father late also. But for me, she represented the strong, and free woman of the 30s. She ha- she was a kind of feminist, always pushed, pushed us to be the best at school in order to find a good job and not a wealthy husband. It was the priority. The priority was to be a free and independent woman. She was elegant, always had a small accessory, a scarf, a pair of gloves, a hat. She may not have worn any Chanel, Lanvin, or Vionnet, but she still had this elegance, this minimalistic one, this true elegance dear to Coco, which made her say that the true elegance is the one we don't notice. Thank you for listening. I hope you liked this story of the magnificent twenties and the Art Deco fashion, and that you learned more about this fabulous period of time. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen your podcasts, to follow me on at my Fashion Stories Box podcast, and to have a look at my blog to complete the podcasts with some visuals. And if you like my podcast, feel free to leave a comment or a review. I will really appreciate it. I am Catherine, and this is my Fashion Story Box podcast, a podcast about stories in fashion history. See you next week for a new fashion story box. Mm-hmm.